Welcome to Spirits Podcast, episode 57, Language. I'll let you guys see what exactly is going on, but this is a little bit of a special episode. It is indeed. Amanda Amanda gave me a good gift this year, everyone. And uh, Julia, I kind of want to cut to the feeling here, as our Queen Carly Ray would say, and, um, and tell the listeners what our gift to them is this year. Um, Amanda, we're getting them a new podcast that we're producing. Bear, 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 new podcast! Bear, bear, bear. It's called Waystation. Waystation is a fan cast for the incredible Canadian television show Lost Girl, which ran for six glorious years, and uh, we we miss it dearly. We do, we do indeed. It is bisexual and fairy related, and has a lot of weird mythology in it, and we we love it and question it with all of our hearts. Yeah. Uh, Editor Eric described it to me as a better, gayer supernatural, and um, that's pretty much what it is. Uh, and we're we're so stoked! We're going to be watching one episode of the show every two weeks. So whether you've watched it before and you want to rewatch along with us, or you've never watched, or Tumblr has told you to watch it and you kind of haven't or kind of tried, we are here for you. And we're going to discuss the mythology of each episode. We're going to discuss the gay stuff. We're going to discuss wigs and outfits and crime and uh, OT threes and all of the great stuff that this show has to offer. There are a lot of good wigs and good OT3s, so you know it's a quality TV show then. Yeah, and you can find us, uh, we're just Waystation, a Lost Girl fan cast, on all of your podcast apps and Waystation Pod on all the social medias and especially our Facebook group. Join us, tell us who you are, say hello. We're going to be posting threads for every episode so you can talk along with uh, with other fans. I mean... Can you think of a better place to hang out for the new year? I can't. Uh, Me neither. And our first episode will be coming out on Friday, January 5th, and then every two Fridays thereafter. Um, But you know who I would love to be spending my new year with, Jules? Um, I think it would be our patrons, Amanda. It would be. We would love to welcome our newest patrons, Laura, Willard, Lauren, Colleen, Aline, Shelby, James, Anne, Rory, and Ashley, as well as, as always, our supporting producer-level patrons, Neil, Chandra, Philip, Julie, Sarah, Josh, Eeyore, Mercedes, Sandra, Robert, Lindsay, Phil, Catherine, Ryan, and Deborah. Uh, you guys are the linguistics scholars who don't throw so much shade of our hearts. You're, I was going to say the OED of my heart, uh, but you will see why uh, I say that later. And as always, to our legend level patrons whose uh, packages for December should be arriving any any day now. Uh, Leanne, Erin, Ashley, Shannon, Cammie and Cassie. I think a couple of them already got it. So that's good. Yeah. the You know, Christmas is every month if you are a Spirits Podcast legend level patron. That is 100% true. And this week, finally, we would love to thank Storyblocks for sponsoring us. Uh, they are the best place to get stock footage, video, animations, whatever you need. They have professional level stuff for you. And you can enjoy a free seven-day trial at storyblocks.com spirits. Thanks, Storyblocks. And without further ado, we will let you get to this special edition of Spirits, our last of 2017, episode 57, Language. So, Julia, it is Christmas time. Yes, it is. It is several days after Christmas, but we are recording this before Christmas. We are. And it's I, a week before Christmas. I got you a point. present. Aw. Uh, it is over there in my hallway for you to take home with you. Okay. I also got you a second present. I think I know what it is. I did an episode. <gasps> That's right, y'all. Tables have turned. Tables Minutes have turned. in the recording chair. I'm in my same chair because the mics are different. And I'm here 
to give you an episode. If you can't tell from my voice, I'm very nervous. <laughs> nervous about me or nervous about you? I'm just nervous in general. <laughs> Anxiety is forming. I am not in my comfort zone. Let's do this ish. Well, I know that I can get into your comfort zone because what I'm going to be talking about today, you genuinely don't know. This is I so know. exciting. I'm I want to just like concerned. prolong, prolong the suspense. I think that also the like tables are very much turned because I have a document that lists like what I'm going to be researching for the next couple of weeks and months. Um, and then this is just said Amanda episode and then question marks next to it for the topic ideas. I'm like, <laughs> all right, I want to obscure the truth. Okay, uh, but now, did. now you can know that my episode this week is about mythological linguistics. Oh God. It's okay. about words with mythological origins. I can think of three of our listeners who are already really stoked about this episode. I know. Uh, one of whom, or two of them, I guess, one of whom is uh, Andrea, our friend and future guest on the show. We did a live show at FlameCon with her in August and it was so much fun. Um, and she contributed some research to this episode. And uh, Eric Silver, friend of the pod and my co-host on Join the Party, who uh, gave me this idea. And I was like, yes, yoink, thank you. There's the idea. And uh, I ran with it. So also, thank you. Also, uh, Shout out to Eldritch Audio Horror Bridge, who is also a linguistics student, I believe. Awesome. And is going to really appreciate this, I'm sure. Well, I am excited to get into it because I know that we both love reading and language. And with a native language as old and weird as English is, right? It's like a mashup of Latinit and Germanic languages, lots of borrowing from others, lots of like back, uh, you know, through into French and then back through a mirror darkly, like into weird borrowing. It's a lot of making shit up. It is a lot of making shit mm-hmm. up. Yeah. For and, a language, it's a lot of making shit up. Uh, and I'm very grateful this is my native tongue instead of one I had to acquire because that would have been a very hard. That's fucking true. And there are lots of surprises in this little minefield surprises? of language. Surprises? For us Tell to- me Cover. Oh my gosh, it's so weird. <laughs> I know, right? I have the answers. <laughs> well, I'm going to start off easy. I'm going to start with some things that you may be familiar with. So okay. some myth-based phrases that we use here in English. Okay. One is to fly too close to the sun. Icarus. Icarus, that is right. Icarus is the son of the guy that created the labyrinth, which mm-hmm. I didn't know. Daedalus. Yes, that is him. Uh, I said Daedalus in my head. I think that was like was that like, it wasn't a book of the Bible, but it was some kind of thing from like, uh, I don't know. It was some kind of media that I had heard before. And I was like, Daedalus. But anyway. Uh, I mean, it, one of the Harry Potter characters is named after Daedalus. Oh, that's the one. Daedalus Diggle. Uh, you know, Harry Potter and the Bible were two formative texts Just, in my childhood. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> makes so much sense. Well, Icarus and his dad tried to escape Crete where they lived mm-hmm. using wings made from wax and feathers, needing to fly neither too close to the sea nor too close to the sun. What would have mm-hmm. happened, Jules? Uh, if he flies too close to the sun, the sun melts the wings. It if does. If he flies too close to the water, it'll just swallow him up. It'll get the feathers wet oh. and drag him down. Okay, fair enough. Makes I think you didn't know. Boom, boom, boom. Started <laughs> You're strong. so excited. Uh, spoiler alert, he did fly too close to the sun. He fucked up real hard. And that is where we get that phrase from, which is also used in our fave Hamilton. Um, the wings melted. He died by crashing into the sea, ironically. So like both of them swallowed him up um, mm. and it was sad. And the story is often used to illustrate the concept of hubris, but it has also got to do with complacency. So you mm. can't, you know, fly too high because you think that you're immortal, whatever. You also can't fly too low and not put in enough effort. That's true. How about the phrase, Jules, the weight of the world on your shoulders? Uh, that would be Atlas, Amanda. That would be Atlas. Now, what was he? Uh, Atlas was a titan. Yep. And, uh, and he was punished for he was. something. Ooh, this is fun. In order to, and was uh, forced to hold the world up. I think he probably, it was, he was one of the titans that revolted against Zeus, probably. Exactly. Right, so cool, he cool, lost cool. that battle of the titans, which yeah. is called like the. Titan, uh, titan Maki. 
Yes. Tain Maki. Uh, I also, uh, during this episode, I was like, is the word hippodrome de- derived from some kind of God? No, hippo just means horse and, yeah. and drome just means dome. Yep. So anyway, hippodrome. But Atlas is often depicted with a globe sitting on his shoulders mm-hmm. in um, s- sculpture, stuff like that, uh, because he is holding up the world. Right. There's what a I- great one at the uh, at 30 Rock. Yes, is there, there is. a statue of Atlas holding up the world. It's what cool I and What I didn't metal. know, though, is like when we didn't know that the world was round, like what was he doing? He was actually um, damned to hold up the sky for eternity. Okay. So that was the kind of original conception is that he was like standing on the ground with his arms up above his head holding up the sky. Sure. Um, but in modernity, when we realize that the, the globe is a sphere, um, he is holding the globe like kind of crooked between his neck and his shoulder. Right. And also like fun fact, we kind of knew that the world was a sphere not too far after this story was being told. Yes. So um, interestingly, when you talk about holding up the sky too, that falls under the Christian idea of the firmament. Yes. Which uh, the earth is flat, but there is a dome-like firmament that is separating the waters of creation. Yeah. So there's waters above, waters below the earth. There absolutely is. Thanks for adding to my thing there. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Atlas is also where we get the noun an atlas, which is a book of maps, you know, geography, traveling the world. Globes. Um, The names for Atlantis and the Atlantic Ocean also come from Atlas. Huh. I actually didn't know that one. And there are lots of other places that are named for gods, but the most interesting one I learned about was from Andrea, um, which is that Europe is named after Europa. Yes. Who is a goddess with origins that are either Phoenician or African. People kind of disagree. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, she's sometimes depicted in art with dark skin, which I think is pretty badass. That is pretty dope. She yeah. also uh, has a feature in Greek mythology, too. Uh, yes. There, are you, do you know that story already? Do you want me to tell it or you got it? Uh, I was just happy to figure out that the Greeks kind of retconned her from Phoenician lore to be descended from Io, who you taught me about yeah. as being a nymph transformed into a heifer because uh, the, the fuck father spectacular got involved. Because <laughs> Zeus horny for cows. <laughs> Zeus horny for cows. It's true. It's true. Uh, Zeus may be horny for horses. Um, I'm not sure. Probably. Probably. Uh, Isn't everyone? <laughs> well, uh, the English language is horny for horses, Julia. Everyone's horny for horses all because the time. Because the phrase Trojan horse is used very often yes, in it English. Is. So it means accomplishing one thing under the guise of another or kind of sneaking in under some kind of disguise. Sure. As people may know, uh, the Greeks sacked the city of Troy, hidden in a wooden horse that was supposed to be a gift. In actuality, the troops probably used a like battering ram type situation probably. to break down the walls of Troy. And historians, one historian was like, um, it kind of probably looked a little bit like a horse. And like that I may mean, be like, maybe, I don't know. where the like IRL origins of this myth came from. <laughs> it's like just trying so hard to be like, Maybe it looked kind of like a horse. I know, I know. I just want it to be true so bad. That's, uh, I know that linguistics is, is like actually a very disciplined field, but mm. I feel that way sometimes when I was reading about all these word origins and people are like, I don't know, it kind of sounds like Arabic if you're drunk, you know, it's <laughs> just like, same though. Yeah, I know, I know. It sounds like Arabic when you're drunk. Trying to, especially in that like proto, like Indo-European, mm-hmm. you know, pre-English, pre-Latinate roots of stuff. Yeah. It is so hard to distinguish what comes from what. Yeah. Um, so it, it is really interesting. There's a couple of things later on um, about kind of word roots and how they have grown into like very weird things in English. Cool. But just to remain on Trojan horse for a second, um, the Oxford English dictionary is a just beautiful land 
of yes. love yes, it and, is. and knowledge. You just flushed a little bit. Thank you yeah. for the Oxford Dictionary. I have a hand over my breast because <laughs> yes, I'm just like thinking about the OED and so grateful that the New York Public Library gives me access to it, even though I'm no longer in college. And so the OED and I spent some quality time together, several hours, in fact, one morning um, researching this episode. And uh, what they do is, that, is they quote the first recorded usage of words. Okay. First recorded usage in print. Interesting. So that we can, you know, so most of them don't start until like the 1500s or so, but they list like the first time we saw these word printed. Um, uh, when you guys spent the morning together, did it make you breakfast in bed? Did the dictionary make you waffles? No, but I made toast and brought it back to the dictionary oh, and we, it was probably researched together. And then you cuddled up and did some research We together. did under my cute blanket. Yes. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and your small pillow, it's called a what again? No. Yeah. No. No, we're doing the small pillow thing. No, we're not. Tell me about the small what pillow. tiny pillow. Yeah. There's what's just, it called? I mean, it's called a plowy. <laughs> Amanda has a small pillow that her grandma made her. Um, and one day was like, well, well, doesn't everyone have a small pillow? I'm like, I no, know. not everyone just has a small pillow. It's, it's my small pillow. And I have to make pillowcases for it because I can't buy small pillowcases. <laughs> anyway, you cuddle up on your plowy and you found out about the origin of words. Tell me more. And the OED will also sample like representative examples of how a word is used. So like words have lots of different meanings. And so sure. they'll kind of list a few for each. Um, so one that was listed for Trojan horse is from SS Prentice, who's a congressional representative from Mississippi in 1838 to 1839. Already excited to hear this one. Do it up. Yep. So he was talking about some of his colleagues in the Mississippi house of representatives and called them Trojan horses because they were like inside men trying to undermine the Congress from within sick congressional burn. Yo, sick burn, yo, Mississippi. The sickest of burns. And after that example, in 1974 was the first recorded usage of Trojan horse to mean a computer attack. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is a genre of kind of cyber attack where viruses are disguised as something else. Um, and I think it's pretty baller that a story from nearly 3,000 years ago is being used now to describe a form of digital warfare. Yeah, for sure. It's like a really interesting idea. It's, it's like the fucking, you know, Harry Potter can pull names like Daedalus and it's still... Yeah you know, important to the storyline, uh, the storyline being our history. <laughs> exactly. And in my research as well, uh, at, I think it was in a Wikipedia article, um, that someone, some like Wikipedia editor, um, said like Homer was very fond of like creatively translating names to like pull and associate kind of JK Rowling style, like, you know, Ramus Lupin, Moon Moon, like moon would, moon. would, uh, would find words to describe the gods that like describe their characteristics. Mm -hmm. So in some cases, the names were sort of like, who knows what it originally was, but this is the one now that we have via Homer and just the, the like snark of the sentence was like, was very fond of. And I was like, Oh God, editor, oh, snap. I hear that you disagree. Also Remus Wolf, uh, Remus Lupin was Wolf Wolf, not Moon Moon. Oh fuck. Yes. Yeah, that one. I got you though. I knew what you meant. <laughs> Moon Moon is a Tumblr post, I think. Uh, probably. Oh, it's so funny. And so just like these phrases, there are a ton of words in English that are just adjectival forms of Greek and Roman gods. I you may have heard of the myth or the word separately, but there is some history on how and why these started being used and some more like very cool first recorded usages. Do it up. So Herculean. Yes. What, what's that about, Jules? Like an impossible task. Yes. And it borrows from the Roman god Hercules, who was a ripoff basically of the Greek god Heracles. Sure. So Heracles was the son of Zeus and Alcamini. Alchemini? Yeah, sure. Who Sounds were, right. And so, uh, therefore, Zeus was both the great-grandson and the half-brother of Perseus. Gotta love the Greeks. Yep. Checks out. 
So Heracles, uh, aka Hercules, uh, was a badass manly man who fought monsters from the underworld and lots of Greek like muckety mucks and Roman emperors being like, uh, yeah, I'm totally related to Hercules. I know mm-hmm. I too am so hot and strong. <laughs> same, same, same. Uh, Checked so, out in their Tinder bios. <laughs> I know, right? Well, people, if I saw someone with Herculean in his Tinder bio, I probably would message him. Mm-hmm. And Herculean means very simply of or relating to Hercules. So we use it to mean uh, something as simple as just like Hercules did, like in the 1500s and 1600s. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still use it to mean like strong, powerful, courageous, big in size, and sometimes to mean violent. But there is another meaning uh, when it describes a task instead of a person, meaning difficult to accomplish, excessive or immense, the yeah. kinds of challenges that only Hercules could solve. And do you know why uh, we use that specifically for tasks? No. So Hercules, basically, he was a good hero. Then he done fucked up. And so he was required to do these 12 labors, the 12 ah, labors of Hercules. That were they were Herculean these, tasks. Yes, they were supposed to be these impossible tasks that no human could accomplish. But because he was a demigod, he managed to do it just fine. But like one of them was like, you have to clear out the stables of these 300 horses in a day. <laughs> just fucking did it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, in a completely different uh, turn of events, how about the words Dionysian or Bacchanalia? Uh, that means like crazy party time. It super does. (laughs) I was like, these are not going to be straight definitions. I'm just going to wing it. (laughs) No, you get, you get up in your Dionysian biz when you have a Bacchanalia, which is a super party time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so these describe the God Dionysus, sometimes Mm -hmm. called Bacchus. Mm -hmm. So like kind of same God, but just different words. Yeah. Bacchus usually is specifically the wine God where Dionysus falls under like ritual madness and stuff like that. Oh, and we're going to talk about it. Of course. And the words can also describe the festivals honoring him yes. or them. I'm just going to use a singular pronoun for That's now. Fine. So uh, it's time for historical orgies. Yay! Yay! So Dionysus was the god of the grape harvest of ritual madness, as you said, fertility, theater, and religious ecstasy. I love that theater is in there. Do you remember Dionysus's origin story, Amanda? Uh, I know he's a satyr. I don't think I remember that. He's not necessarily a satyr. That's some later depictions of him. Oh. They uh, kind of mix him in with Pan, oh, okay. who is a satyr. Uh, Dionysus, uh, if you'll remember the story about Zeus seducing the mortal and then Hera becoming her best friend and being oh, like, yo, he's yes. probably not really Zeus. And she bursts into flames <laughs> and Zeus cuts out the baby and then sews him to his thigh. Yes. That's Dionysus. That's the one. Well, forged in fire, reared on a thigh. Here is Dionysus, and he wants you to have sex. I thought you were going to rhyme that, but I liked the ending anyway. Oh, no. I got too distracted by the, by the, by the payoff. By the sex. I As gotcha. Zeus does. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Ooh. <laughs> Damn. I, hey. Uh, Dionysus is the only one of the 12 Olympian gods born of a mortal mother, as you just said. Yep. Um, and is sometimes described as androgynous. So there's some cool kind of sculptural and artistic representations mm-hmm. of Dionysus as a androgynous or kind of gender fluid individual. Hell yeah. Worshipping Dionysus sounds like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are depictions on like vases and stuff of processions honoring him having all female followers with uh, bearded satyrs with erections, yep. all dancing and playing music. Mm-hmm. There would be much drinking. People got very happy, almost frenzied, which is the state that we now call a bacchanalia. Yes. Uh, there are some great uh, plays that focus around Dionysus. There's one great story uh, where this dude is watching his mother and his mother's friends go out to worship Dionysus. And Dionysus catches him watching the Bacchanalia. And so what Dionysus does is he sends them into a religious fervor, so much so that he knocks the guy out of the tree and they think it's a lion and they kill and devour him. 
Wait, was that in that play that we did in high school? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was super inappropriate, yeah. probably for high schoolers. It was excellent, though. It was Iphigenia at Alice was I think one of them. I think they mentioned it. So it was, uh, and then Orestes I, was the yes. second one that we did. If I remember correctly, it was just plays called like the Greeks by Euripides, maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, super. I mean, I I appreciated being able to just wear a toga as my or a robe as my costume, but it was still like no. Just super not appropriate. Also, if you want to talk about like ritual frenzy and bacchanalia, um, I would recommend reading the super sad book, The Secret History. Nice. It's very sad. And there it's about a bunch of kids at a liberal arts college who um, basically accidentally murder someone while trying to do a bacchanalian uh, Dionysus ritual. They, they do. They and super I do. Uh, recommend reading that book on a plane or a train if you're traveling. It's just nice and very escapist. Um, and, exactly, and also really sad. At the it, end. Is, it is also very sad. Yeah. No, it's no one is happy in that book. Mm-hmm. But historically, there is a name for those kinds of things besides just kind of calling it a bacchanalia. There were also the more specific Dionysian mysteries, which were rituals involving intoxicants, dancing and music to get people to kind of act pretty wild and get sort of transcendent, um, which yeah. reminded me of ways that people now use like like ayahuasca and LSD and mushrooms and kind of different substances to try to sort of have a transcendent or like epiphany type yeah. of experience. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, there were uh, like a kind of rare opportunity for marginalized people like non-citizens or enslaved people or women to like actually have a good time. Yeah. Um, and Dionysus is also kind of represented as the protector of those who don't belong to conventional society. So he symbolizes the chaotic, the dangerous, the unexpected, everything that kind of like escapes the normal bounds of human society. Um, and it's sort of like the unforeseeable, the chaotic. And I don't know, I super like that sort of queers can be like thrown in there, um, you know, and, and we can be represented by Dionysus as well. We should do a Dionysus episode at some point. Uh, we should. I was very tempted to just include this this non-god factoid in here because right after Dionysus in the OED was the adjective diaphantine okay. with a capital D. So I was like, oh, cool. Is That's this a god? sort of drug? No. Okay. Uh, Julia, it's math. It's mathematics. Aww. So I clicked on it and it means ever pertaining to Diophantus of Alexandria. who was a celebrated mathematician that flourished in the fourth century. Okay. OED, take a breather. I get that he flourished, but like (laughs) math. Okay. Whatever. Um, and so this guy applied, um, and so this guy is famous for, uh, this like mathematical solution involving indeterminate equations and like invented a method of solving them. Um, and so that is now called the Diophantine analysis method. So nerds, little math, little math, uh, interlude here. And thank you. Trey fancy, my friend, Trey fancy. (laughs) Very fancy. Julia, so next we have the adjective Sisyphean. Okay, it is a, again, it's an impossible, never-ending task. Kind of. So, Like a pointless task. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. So Sisyphus was the founder and the first king of Corinth, which mm-hmm. was then called uh, Athera or Phyra. Uh, he was a prosperous ruler. He's like very good at what he was doing, good for commerce, et cetera, uh, but also a big, big liar. Yeah. And he often what killed people for fun. Yeah, what a dick. Uh, so surprisingly, Zeus, instead of becoming his best friend, sent him down to Hades, where uh, Sisyphus's punishment was to roll a heavy stone up a hill. But as soon as he reached the top, the stone rolled back down again. Zeus, Zeus was basically like, hey, hey, that's my MO. Only I can do that. Oh, yeah, no. Zeus no was totally. same hat moment for Zeus. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there are actually a bunch of different versions of the specific fuckitude that got Sisyphus sent to this eternal punishment. Do it up. So, uh, namely cheating death. Mm-hmm. That's just not going to go over well. Mm-hmm. Hades ain't about that. No, he is not. Neither is Zeus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in one version, Zeus ordered Sisyphus to be chained up in Hades. Uh, so, uh, Sisyphus smooth talks, uh, Thanatos death 
into showing him how the chains work where he's like, that's fascinating. Can you just show me how that works? (laughs) Your literal death. Don't do that. Yep. So I guess that Atos was like intrigued to be asked about his job or something. And (laughs) it's like, I don't get to talk to a lot of people much. I know. Like it is really interesting. Actually, I invented this knot. So actually, boom, uh, he ended up chained himself, Thanatos. So, uh, and in actually some versions, it's Hades that has to uh, chain up Sisyphus. And Mm -hmm. so then Hades ends up chained. Um, But either way, death is trapped. And so no one can die. Meaning that no one can sacrifice stuff to the gods. So everyone else gets really unhappy. And sick people, old people, the infirm suffer. So Sisyphus earned his eternal punishment by doing that, which is to make him wish he were dead, which is pretty dark. Fuck him. Another version is that before Sisyphus died, he told his wife to throw his body naked into the public square after his death. Now, Julia, why on earth would he request that? Uh, If he doesn't have a proper burial, he can't be transported to Hades. Good guess. That is my imagining of it. So I think it was slightly more uh, nagging and misogynistic than that. Um, Wonderful. he, He did it to test her devotion. Because why would a wife do something horrible to her husband unless she like loved him enough to want to do that only because he asked her to do it? You're rolling your eyes. That's so I know. Dumb. I know. It's very dumb. Uh, but she did, being devoted and probably terrified. Uh, but then Sisyphus bitches to Persephone down in Hades about how rude his wife was. Percy, no, don't fall for that shit. However, Persephone is like, wow, that sucks. Not everyone's as good a wife as me. And you so are. she. You're so good, Percy. You're so she good. She allows him to go back up there to, I don't know, confront his wife, like Maury style. I don't know what that showdown could have looked like. That would have been a good outcome. But in any case, Sisyphus goes back to his wife and yells at her and says, why did you do that? You didn't give me a proper burial. You know, you're damning me. So he just invented this whole solution to like fucking gaslight her. And it was horrible. Fucking dick. It was epic. It was epic, uh, epically dickish. And so he refuses to go back down to the underworld like he promised. So Hermes has to go back up and fetch him, bring him down. And then he is uh, damned to do his Sisyphean task. Damn right. Hermes doesn't get up for everyone. Hermes is mad if he has to get up and do shit. Yeah, no, he super did. Uh, And so returning to my favorite thing, the first recorded usage. um, So back in 1635, a writer wrote... I barter sighs for tears and tears for groans, still vainly rolling Sisyphean stones, which I just thought was a dope rhyme. Um, it was always, same, same, same. it was always actually Sisyphean stones was like the phrase that was used until more recently. Um, so in 1871 was the first recorded usage of Sisyphean on its own without the word stone there. Um, I think you might want to just make sure just don't drink your drink right now. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Um, so uh, J.R. Lowell in My Study Windows in 1871 had the hilarious phrase, the Sisyphean toil of rolling the clammy balls. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy, no. That, having that phrase associated with your name is, I think, the worst, the worst no. punishment of all. In more serious news. Uh, Wait, sorry. I want to go back to that poem real quick. And oh, yeah. I just want to make it into a punk rock anthem so bad. I'm about to his ears. The tears for girls still faintly rolling. So sit sounds Exactly. Oh, yeah. No, it's Holy great. Holy shit. It would be so good. It's like when when uh, plays of Midsummer Night's Dream or The Tempest or something like put Shakespeare's dumb little jingles to like actual music. <laughs> his dumb little jingles. Like I hate songs and Shakespeare. Like he's rating fucking, uh, fucking like toothpaste ads. Oh, yeah. I actually just thought of toothpaste, which was 
was really funny, okay. but we're like serial jingles. Oh, mm-hmm. 100%. Sisyphus, though, has also been used as a symbol for senseless violence or anti-war purposes, which okay. I think makes a lot of sense. Like yeah. violence for violence's sake, it's never going to end. It's just going to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and uh, finally, in Plato's Apology, uh, so Plato is is writing, which I think is a hilarious mm-hmm. name, um, but Plato was writing about Socrates. Because um, Plato's never apologized for shit. Plato's <laughs> like, true. fuck y'all, I'm out. <laughs> And, and he, he, yeah, he's definitely like, I don't know, just doing like fanfic about Socrates, R- RPF about Socrates. Um, my dad, my dad took some hemlock and now I'm out. His dad yeah. being Socrates. Ah. <laughs> So uh, anyway, Plato says that Socrates said that he was excited for the afterlife so that he could talk to people like Sisyphus and find out, this is a quote, who is actually wise and who thinks he is when he is not. Damn. Sick burn fictional Socrates. (laughs) I know. This is a phrase that most people probably know. How about Oedipal or the Oedipus complex or the Electra complex? Uh, You want to fuck your mom slash dad. You want to fuck your parent of the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, Freud, everyone's favorite, rolls my eyes, um, used Oedipus and these phrases to describe and justify his psychoanalytical theory that young men may have subconscious sexual desire for their mothers, which leads to repression and guilt and emotional and kind of interpersonal disturbances if you don't like interrogate it in psychoanalysis. Uh, Yeah, same. We grew up in a post-Freud world and like Freudian analysis of literature is mad boring. It's, yo. it's just all about penis and vagina and no I one know. cares. I know you like, like show that to a middle schooler. They'd be like, Whoa. And then they would move on to better things. Yes. Yeah. Um, but who was Oedipus? So Oedipus was from Thebes. He managed to solve the riddle, um, from the Sphinx. Wait, I know the riddle, please. Um, what has four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon and three legs at night? Man. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a baby, baby and then a man. person and then they have Old a cane. person. Yep. Good job, Finks. Sick burn. I get that we mortals are mortal. Uh, but Oedipus also killed his father and married his mother. So not great. I think solving that riddle was kind of the peak. So the equivalent for girls is the Electra complex, which is named for the daughter of King Agamemnon and Queen Clytemnestra. Hey, let's talk about the most fucked up couple in Greek mythology. Hell yeah. They're we, just the worst. They are. They're just bad. They just, Agamemnon's like, I can't get the winds to go. I'm just going to murder my daughter. quickly. Well, like Hamlet, Electra plotted revenge against her stepfather for the alleged murder of her actual father, Agamemnon. Who was her stepfather at the time? Her stepdad was Aegisthus, and her brother Orestes helped out with this terrible deed uh, and met an unhappy end when uh, Orestes murdered their mom Mm -hmm. and then was hounded by the Furies for violating rules of family piety. I was going to say, I remember he was driven mad by the Furies. He super was. Electra, I guess, got off pretty well. No, she did okay. Yeah. Um, and in literature, self-fulfilling prophecies, uh, are sometimes called the Oedipus effect mm-hmm. or ominously the Electra situation, which I just think is a very cool name for like an all women metal band. Right. Because, uh, in Oedipus, there was a whole, uh, there was a whole prophecy that he was going to murder his father and marry his mother. Exactly. And then the father tried to have him murdered. Yep. The baby disappeared. Yep. He assumed that he was dead. And Super then, dead. And then Oedipus just shows up and be like, yo, what up? I'm here. Yeah. I hear you have a sphinx problem. I'm going to solve that for you. I'm going to murder your king. And I'm yep. going to marry his queen. By the way, that's my mom. Queen is your mom. Yeah. Queen is your mom. And then he stabbed his eyes out. Super dead. Yep. 
yep, nope, it's not a great story. Uh, and it's also kind of um, inspired our favorite Shakespeare play, Macbeth, uh, where there are also like, gotta kill the baby because it's gonna become the king. There's a self fulfilling prophecy. There is like a, a mad woman. What baby murder is there? Uh, well, there's killing Banquo's kids so that okay. they can't become king. That's yeah. true. Um, and uh, like the fleance flies, the fly, fly, fleance fly, fly, fleance fly. We have so many in jokes just because we are the only two people who like remember these like dumb things from rehearsal mm-hmm. one day in 2007. Remember, Joe had a broken foot. I do. And so he would just hobbled off stage with fucking. I in my head. Oh, that's so good because in my head I remember fly, fleance fly as being someone with like one arm outstretched limping off stage, and now I remember why. Yep. Yeah. Because he was on uh, crutches. So good. Uh, Julia, I have some really good ones for you next. Okay. But first, why don't we grab a refill? Sounds good. This week's episode is sponsored by Storyblocks. It is the best place to get high quality stock images for the fraction of a cost. And they have this like triple play situation going on where they have images, they have video, and then they have like vectors and textures and stuff for animators. Uh, And it's amazing. They have over 400,000 things in their member library, which you get access to for the super low price of just $149 a year, which is crazy. That's what you would pay for like one really good stock image or a clip of video. And you can have like unlimited downloads from that member library as well as discounts on additional marketplace images where artists take home 100% of the sale price. I mean, there is nothing worse, Amanda, than trying to find something really specific and just not being able to find it. But the best part about Storyblocks is that they basically have everything. If you are looking for weird gargling noises, if you are looking for an image of... I don't know, a creepy rail yard or something. It is easy to find them at Storyblocks. And I bet they have lots of images relating to the words that we're talking about today since they're so like well-known and iconic. Oh, for sure. So thank you so much to Storyblocks for sponsoring us this week for you guys to help show that we appreciate their sponsorship and that, you know, it's a a good tool for independent artists like us. You can head on over to storyblocks.com slash spirits to try it free for seven days. That's storyblocks.com slash spirits. And tweet us the best one you can find. If you can find a good video or a weird noise or a weird, cool font and texture, we want to know about that. We are super in. Um, so thank you, Anti Storyblocks. That's storyblocks.com slash spirits. And with that, let's get back to the show. So now, Julia, I bring you the good stuff, which are words that I had no idea were based in mythology. Let's do it up. Cereal. Come at me, bro. Cereal has mythological origins. Are we talking about the thing you eat or something that is cerealized? Uh, the thing you eat. I oh, know. no, I do know this. It's based off of Cirrus, who is the Roman form of Demeter. Yes, yeah, exactly. Fuck yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I'm earning my fucking credit here for, <laughs> for the scholar of the two of us. I never doubted it. I hope that at least one of these will be a surprise to you. But cereal is, in fact, derived from the Latin word cerealis, mm-hmm. meaning of or related to the goddess of agriculture, Ceres. Yes. Who was the Roman counterpart to Demeter. Mm-hmm. Also the goddess of harvest, motherhood, fertility in both people and the world mm-hmm. agriculture. Uh, and it makes sense that cereal which is made out of like wheat and shit. Exactly. After her. her name became synonymous with grain and therefore with bread. And go. it is where we get the agricultural term cereal, which describes, I had much fun in the cereal Wikipedia article, uh, figuring out exactly because it, it's not like a, it's not a genus. It's mm-hmm. not like a, an actual classification, not but what it does is describe a class of grasses whose grains are edible. That's what defines a cereal. Okay. So wheat, rice, millet, maize, and other ones are cereals. And then there's this really fun classification called a pseudo cereal. 
basil, um, which are grains that belong to a different plant family, but are also consumed like cereals are. This like is very deep and stuff like buckwheat, quinoa and chia. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. So Makes they're sense. not technically cereals, but they are consumed like them. Interesting. I know. I thought so too. So talking about those kind of weird, like proto Indo-European root words, the name Cirrus or Ceres derives from this kind of root word meaning to satiate or to feed, Ooh. which is also where we get the Latin root for cesare, which means to grow. And therefore the English words create and increase. Aww. So these are related to cereal to Ceres. This is really cute. I really yeah, like this. I know. In a completely different tone, venereal disease. Is that coming from Venus or am I wrong? It is super coming from Venus, yeah. Roman version of Aphrodite. Like Aphrodite, Venus was born of sea foam, gross, <laughs> and is the goddess of love, sex, desire, beauty, fertility, and prosperity. She's my girl. Romans also named the best role you could get in their like favorite dice game after her, which Amazing. is pretty cool. Very and cute. apparently our pretty uh, second planet from the sun. Yeah. Also, um, I mean, we've talked, we talked about it in our panel for FlameCon. Yes. But uh, Venus in particular um, was portrayed in very different uh, gender fluid forms. Exactly. So there's a bearded Venus. There is mm -hmm. uh, different Venuses where she is shown with men male genitalia. Uh, it's just, it's, she's a really interesting character and I want to dive into her as yeah. more at some point. Yeah. She has like mixed secondary sex characteristics mm -hmm. in some uh, depictions. So like breasts and testes or, you know, some other kind of mix of stuff, yeah. which I think is just pretty dope because like she is, is beauty and desire in all of those bodies. Yeah. And there's a great, um, there's certain stories that talk about when you see Aphrodite or see Venus, you see her in the uh, form that you most desire. Oh, uh, and there's cute little Tumblr, po Tumblr posts about out like uh like someone some dude realizing that v, uh, that he's gay because he sees venus as a man oh like, adorable it's adorable i ship it and so i mean i said disease but uh the adjective venereal just means relating to sex mm -hmm. um so venereal disease uh you know uh, describes um, diseases, STIs, STDs that infect the genitalia. Mm -hmm. um, and also actually the Latin word for poison, which is venium, from which we get venom, is also tied to Venus. Hmm. Because scholars speculate that because she could manipulate and artificially change people's affections and desires, think kind of Cupid style, like changing who a person wants, um, it was seen as kind of like poisoning their minds, poisoning their wills, and therefore huh. it got associated with poison. Uh, that's really interesting. I would have thought that it would have been less about poison and more about like changing chemistry and stuff like that. I'm going to, I'm going to step it away from poison and venom and think more about like, you know, she's just changing your, uh, your brain chemistry so that you like people more. Absolutely. But, um, you know, the way that languages change over time, maybe venium meant something more along those lines yeah. before. Um, but now it is where we get venom, venomous stuff like that. Fight me linguists. <laughs> well, uh, I also had a very good first recorded usage for you. So in 1577, J Grange wrote, um, a, a volume titled golden Aphroditus and he bemoaned venereal dames and ruffling nymphs. Yo, <laughs> tag yourself. I'm the venereal dames. The title of my memoirs. <laughs> I thought you enjoyed that. Venereal also has two L's, which I just love in like old timey spelling. Mm -hmm. It's so much fun. Checks out, checks out. Uh, Julia, how about the word tantalize? Tantalize uh, as in Tantalus, uh, who was a dude who also much like, fuck, I forgot his name. 
Ooh, this is fun to watch. The, um, shit, the one we just talked about, Sisyphus. Yep. So much like Sisyphus was uh, punished in Hades, uh, but Tantalus was uh, forced under a fruit tree that was just out of his reach yep. and in a river that was like just up to his waist. So whenever he reached for the tree, the fruit would go out of his reach. Mm-hmm. And whenever he went to drink from the water, it would just like lower down. Yep, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And it's very dark, and I never want to use this word casually again. It's what tantalizing. Up? Yeah, yeah. tantalize means like torturous, you know? Like in yeah. its original meaning, it was quite dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even now we're like, ooh, like the smell of those brownies is tantalizing. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, it's not. You'd be like, oh, I, I'm going to literally starve because I cannot eat these brownies. It's yeah. so tantalizing. No, 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 no. Don't <laughs> want that. And my final word for you, Julia, is is so interesting and rich and uh, has so many things for us to talk about that I wanted to save it for last. Um, the word is panic. I do know this one. And where does it come from? It comes from the god Pan. Who was he? Uh, Pan was the uh, satyr goat god, basically, mm-hmm. of the forest and the wilderness and whatnot. Um, and he, the first word used or the supposed origin of the word comes from uh, the... Titan Mackey, I believe, um, where it said that he scared people. Uh, he scared the enemies so badly that they went into a panic. Yep. <laughs> I didn't see that precise fact, okay. but that is absolutely the idea behind the word origin. Sure. Um, I had no idea and it like blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an also another Andrea pick. So thank you, Andrea, for this tip. Um, but it exactly, this word originally just meant of a relating to Pan. Um, so he was a kind of domain of the wild shepherds, flocks of sheep, nature, mountains, wilds, rustic music. Um, and he was a companion to the nymphs, mm-hmm. satyr, as you said. Companion, also, quote unquote. Companion to the nymphs. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm a companion too. So he was also apparently the god of theatrical criticism and That's improvisational amazing. music. I did not know that. So, okay, so let's just unpack this for a second. So Pan just loves him some jazz. <laughs> Which, okay, I get it. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's random. The the spirit overtakes you. You just jam, like, or, have a little jam session. Or you're just, like, a cool shepherd, like, playing music for your yeah. sheep, and you don't have anything, like, prepared. You're not, yeah. like, me, like, and this is Wonderwall. <laughs> <laughs> your sheep are, like, bah. No, so like improvisational music, just like kind of going with the flow and doing whatever. I dig that. I'm super into it. However, theatrical criticism. I know. <laughs> what is he? Those Muppets, uh, the old man Muppets that are hanging yeah. out, <laughs> making fun of the show. I know. I I just, I don't know what the tie-in is, except that some theater critics, I mean, I get that, like we talked about earlier about, uh, you know, Dionysus is tied to theater, like the spirit, you know, other things taking you over, making your body do different things. Like that I get from the kind of theatrical angle. So maybe some theater critics were like, okay, that, but also I'm mad. Uh, Fair enough. You know, I don't know. (laughs) So we picked Pan to be like, yo, fuck this play. Uh, And Pan did cause a lot of trouble in many different kinds of stories. Uh, My favorite one is uh, where Pan stole all the sinews out of Zeus. Have you heard about this one? No. So he stole all of Zeus's like sinews, like his muscles. So he just couldn't move? Yep. And so for a while, Zeus is just a little bucket of flesh, just a little pile of body. That's horrifying. It is super horrifying. I'm just picturing him as the lady who is just skin, the last human Cassandra from Doctor Who. I was picturing the the, like slimy Pokemon monster, like Growler. Grimer? Grommer. Grommer? Grammer? Grimer. Grimer. That's that's much you were, closer. You were like weirdly on Growlithe there for a second, <laughs> which I'm like, mm, not the same. No, he was a cute, fiery little little cat guy. He was a dog. Dog guy. It's like a dog tiger. That was his thing. Oh yeah. Cute. 
Tiger threw me off. Um, but anyway, but Hermes stole back uh, Zeus's sinews. So Hermes just pinch hitting for That's, all these myths. I mean, Hermes was the god of thieves. So yeah. it makes sense that he's just stealing shit back. Absolutely. Um, Pan later became a significant figure in the like capital R romantic movement in the 18th and 19th yeah. centuries. And uh, also in the 20th century, neo-pagan movement. So what's up, pagans? What up, pagans? We know you like some Pan. Hey. Hey, yo. I always thought it was so funny that pan in Spanish means bread. So just like, yep, like love me some bread. Also love me some, uh, you know, sort of disastrous, uh, I don't know, like group activities. So to turn kind of to how we use the word panic. Mm-hmm. Um, so panic means sudden, wild or unreasoning fear. That is a dictionary definition. Sure. Um, and in 1603, there was a translation of uh, a French language document called Plutarch Morals okay. saying sudden foolish frights without any certain cause are what they call panique terror or pan terrors, panic. Um, and in 1708, this dude, Lord Shaftesbury, it's so weird Such because like name. early on, like so few people could, could, uh, have access to like making texts, much less reading them. Yeah. Um, so we have just like a weird correspondence from rich people whose letters still survive. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Shansbury. so this guy, Lord Shaftesbury said, uh, the uncertainty of what they feared made their fear yet greater. And this was what in after times man called a panic, which I think is really fascinating because like that is a really I don't know, like truthful take on what anxiety and panic attacks feel like. Sure. When your fear is scary, you know, and you're not sure where it comes from Mm -hmm. when it's sudden, when it's unreasonable, when you know that your emotional reaction is out of proportion to the thing that it is causing Mm -hmm. or being caused by, um, it's actually worse that, that you know, either that you shouldn't be feeling this bad or that you don't know what's making you feel this way. Um, and for fellow financial history nerds, the great, <laughs> you're panics, the only one, my friend, you're the only one. And for fellow financial history nerds, the great panics that we talk about when we discuss like recessions and depressions. So sure. that's when people kind of withdraw cash from banks yeah, thinking they panic like, and they don't want their money. Exactly. They, can um, they like cause shortages by selling stocks and causing widespread depreciation, but they're called panics because they're unfounded. They're just rumors. They're just right. like emotional feeling and not uh, actual fact about the situation. Um, so those, those are panics. And I did not know that they were tied to a, uh, a God of, of shepherds and the wild. Yeah. All of these were so good. I was really excited that I knew almost all of them. You did. I was very, very pleased with myself. And, I, and it was the ego boost that was a perfect Christmas gift from you. Uh, well, I'm glad that you didn't have to do research. I'm glad that you feel good about yourself. Truly, those are the two things that I want is for you to relax and, and feel nice. Oh, so I hope best. you enjoyed your Christmas I present. I did. It was excellent. 10 out of 10 would Christmas again. I am, however, out of words to discuss in this context. So, uh, conspirators and shout out to Todd for coming up with that name. So good. We love it so much. We're using it from now on conspirators. If you know of names that have mythological origins or adjectives, nouns, like words of any stripe, or if in your language that uh, is different to English, there are, um, similar examples, please let us know. You can email us at spiritspodcast.com or uh, tweet us or Facebook us or Tumblr us. Yes. We would love to hear Do it. all those things, all the things. I feel like I should promo our Facebook group. Yeah. 
because it is a private group. Uh, We have some really interesting discussions. There's a lot of cool, cool memes that are posted. And I want to see it more active because I want to hear all of your cool stories and stuff. Yeah, like you can share your hometown stories in real time and have people comment on it. Shout out to Beth, who has been posting some really cool articles. Beth, you're killing it. Beth is finding like the best, creepiest, coolest stuff across the internet and sharing it with our group. So if you just search for Spirits Podcast on Facebook, you'll be able to find the group or it's at facebook.com slash groups slash Spirits Podcast. You should totally check it out, though. It's super cool. We would love to hang out with you during our winter break, uh, which is not actually break from the podcast, just like a few days where we wear pajamas and hang out around the house. I wish. Um, I know. Julia's yawning because she's so excited for that time off. Uh, But hang out with us. Play with us in the space. We want to play with you in the space. Play with me. And conspirators, we will be seeing you in the new year. But in the meantime, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Spirits Podcast. We also have all our episodes, collaborations, and guest appearances, plus merch on our website, spiritspodcast.com. Come on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff. Throw us as little as $1 and get access to audio extras, recipe cards, director's commentaries, and patron-only live streams. And hey, if you like the show, please share us with your friends. That is the best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.